welcome. No, that is my job. <laughs> Sorry. I have one job on this podcast. Okay, and that is to welcome our listeners. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Welcome to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined by my co-host, Rob. And Rob, who else is on this podcast today? We are joined by our co-co-host, Jordan Reno. Finally. (laughs) Wow. Hi, Jordan. (laughs) Took you long enough. (laughs) It took you long enough. We did it. It took us all long enough. Let's not argue and fight on on the air. Yeah, we (laughs) save that bickering for our... Text email. No, we saved that bickering for what happened before we tried to air this, (laughs) which was how long? Literally one hour. No, an hour and 15 minutes. Yep. I'm trying to figure it out. We have to get together. We have to get together for an hour and 15 minutes and bicker, and then we can start recording. No, we have to figure out just like the rules for an hour and 15 minutes on how to use Skype to record because we're such novices, (laughs) ultimate novices. Correct. Am I wrong, Rob? No, you're not wrong. And the the setup that we have isn't. It's so Jerry rigged. Yeah, it's a bit Jerry. So, uh, check out our Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have. Them. I got it, Rob. The best part of though this was watching you fiddle with this for a long time, and then I say, "Well, do you have any like?" What, what did I say? I said, "Well, are, is there any instructions to this?" You said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, why? Why aren't you?" I said, "Are you using them?" You go, "No, I'm not even using them." I said, what, "What's the point <laughs> of having the instructions?" I forgot what the exact wording was, but. I just remember you saying, like, no, of course I'm not using the instructions. I have them, but I'm not going to use them. Yeah, I'm a man. Typical. Yeah, and, and look what happened. An hour and 15 minutes later, now we're podcasting. But it's working. <laughs> it is working for now. Working. If this cuts out mid-podcast mid, mid podcast and we have to erase this thing, I'm going to be furious. furious. Well, at least our Good listeners job. won't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. They will now. <laughs> That's true. They will know now. All right. Anyway, Jordan, it's good to have yeah. you back on, man. Thank you. How is Seattle life treating you? Uh, it's great. We like it out here a lot. It's very rainy. For the most part, but we still like it. Okay. How's the coffee? Uh, way better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm mostly still drinking Starbucks. Is it Seattle's I'm best? Still drink Starbucks. That's not a thing anymore. Seattle's really. best. They used to be in Borders. Best. That was Borders they thing. They're, they're, what's left of them is owned by Starbucks. So Go figure. Yeah. That corporate uh, juggernaut. But yeah, the roastery, the Starbucks roastery is really cool. I went there a couple weeks ago. And? And it was really cool. I already. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> it was crazy. It's like it's like a it's like a coffee mecca. Like people should make pilgrimages there. That's what it was like. I think that's the real reason you moved to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Is everyone wearing flannel yeah. and having beards and just worshiping the ground that Starbucks walks on? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other good coffee shops too. So it's not like you only have Starbucks. You have a lot of other like high end options, which oh, is cool. High end and McDonald's. Have you <laughs> Burger King, <laughs> Chick Fil A, Panera, Taco Bell's coming? Oh, dude, Panera Coffee is not good. Dude, there's a Chipotle across the street from my house. Literally, I walked there today. <laughs> is that where all your money goes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it goes to rent and utilities. <laughs> mm. Have you uh, noticed all of the espresso shops that are in parking lots? Oh yeah. And some of them that you shouldn't go to. There's literally, in every parking lot, there's like a shed with a window cut in it, and people are making espressos. Is that a thing? It's a thing. Everywhere. I drive past like four of them on my way to work. Oh, my word. Yeah. That's... And there's bikini baristas. Oh, (laughs) is that a thing too? Yeah. Oh. Yep. Okay. So you have to look... Some of them will say like family-friendly... Are you kidding me? That's a thing? (laughs) Seattle is so corrupt. What a pagan city you moved to. 
Well, it's kind of crazy because, and I know how you love politics, but really only the county surrounding Seattle is very liberal. The whole rest of the state is very conservative. When we were watching the results from the election come in, it was like everything 20 points ahead conservative until King County came in. And then it was like everything. Because <laughs> everyone lives there. Everyone Stupid lives in Seattle. cities. And the surrounding area. Yeah, we're just like just outside of that. Huh. Interesting. Well, good to know. Anyway, yeah. Jordan, uh, you're drinking coffee. I'm drinking coffee. We're 3,000 miles apart. What are you drinking right now? Uh, I'm drinking Starbucks Cassie Cielo. Tim's favorite coffee. It is. That is my favorite blend that Starbucks makes. I don't know what it, what it is about that that blend. It's delicious, but it's only seasonal. So you can only get it during certain times. We should go buy some. It's the uh, yes, we Guatemalan. <laughs> yeah, no, it's delicious. It's great. All right, awesome. Well, Jordan, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks. Good um, to be back. We do have a huge announcement that you guys have advised me not to say. We did. Um, until the next episode. But what I will tell my, my friends and family out there is that I told Sarah to quit her job because, <laughs> because of this announcement. <laughs> um, that's how huge this podcast announcement is. Luckily for me, she didn't take me seriously, and she did not quit her job. But we do have a very um, cool thing happening, um, I think, in probably two podcasts from now. So on the next one, we'll give some more details on it. But um, it's a great story. I cannot wait to share it. But I will try and be reserved on this episode and wait till the next episode, which is not like me. But we have to build up some kind of, you know, I guess, mystery. And then I'm not even sure you're going to be able to speak on the actual podcast. I might just be like humming, 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 humming the entire time. I'll just be in awe of what's of who wow. we who who we're having on. We'll just put it that. Yeah, way. we can so, put it there. Anyway, no, so uh, yeah, what's up, Jordan? I said, no, you went too far. No, oh, went too far. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so stay tuned for uh, for our next. Uh, uh, podcast episode we'll have the announcement then um and we will be announcing that so cool cool all right let's move on we decided that um instead of doing um christians in the news we're going to change it up a little bit because let's face it we i, I not we i it's me correct <laughs> i commentate on politics almost every podcast episode almost every day i can't help it i, I cannot i don't know mm. what it is I can't help it. So instead of Christians in the news, let's just call it what it is. And that is Christian Christians in politics. Thank you. So that will be our new segment, I think, going forward. And we'll change it up as, uh, as we need to. But I do want to get into this for a little bit. So I want to talk about, obviously, we're recording this on the night of um, the president-elect's um, inauguration. So President uh, Trump will be President Trump tomorrow, which is pretty amazing. 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 So I want to talk about two things here. I want to talk about um, who Trump has as the main prayer person for the inauguration. And then I want to talk about briefly um, a great article that John Piper has written um, in response to being a Christian under Trump's uh, leadership. So first things first, one thing I'm a little shocked about, and Jordan, I'm looking forward to your input on this because uh, we don't talk that often now that you're so far across the country, but this lady named Paula White, who is pretty much a prosperity gospel preacher person is leading the prayer for this for the inauguration and i'm i'm quite surprised that more evangelical leaders are not up in arms about this because it's a pretty i would think heretical gospel as far as what she teaches and what she preaches now i went to her website cuz i want to do some digging on my own 
And on the surface, it's a pretty standard evangelical belief system. But as you dig deeper, that's when you start finding, you know, oh, send us $75. We'll send you this book about first fruits and how, you know, when you give your first fruits to God, aka us, God will bless you more. And that whole prosperity gospel mindset, not to mention she's been under investigation from the Senate, not to mention she's on her third marriage, not to mention she really believes that, you know, if you, uh, if God loves you, he will shower finances upon you, which we, I think all three of us would agree is a pretty ridiculous statement. But I do think <laughs> that, that, that Donald Trump subscribes to that mindset because I, I read a great article online that kind of broke down the similarities between Trump's Christian or Christianity and Paula White's Christianity. And they've also been good friends for 15 years, but I'm just really surprised that once again, I don't hear a big outcry from leaders of the Christian movement saying, what is, you know, this is the person that, that Dr. James Dobson said to us that, that Trump has received Christ as his personal savior, but now he's having this person lead the prayer. And I'm surprised he's not outspoken against this. Have you guys heard about that at all, Jordan? Do you, or do you have any, any opinion on this? I haven't. I guess my, my only thought though is like, I don't know, at least for me, when I hear that, my first reaction is like, well, like, what do you expect? Like it's, it's Trump, first of all, <laughs> and it's like a politician doing something for, um, you know, to add this religious aspect to their inauguration. So it's kind of like, why do you expect something more than that? <laughs> I guess I don't. But I see what you're saying yeah. about like no one speaking out against it. I don't know. That's kind of my point is there was, and we, again, we talked about this many times, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but we saw the gymnastics that many Christian leaders did to try and justify Trump as a good Christian guy who has repented and is just trying his best and is a baby Christian. But it's more and more evident that he's not anywhere in the realm of any normal Christian belief system. And yet I feel like people are just kind of giving him a pass because, well, it could have been Hillary. And that's why I, sure. I admire John Piper so much because he wrote a really great article that pretty much said, like, Trump is not a moral president. He's not a moral guy to follow as far as, a leader, as leadership goes. And we should be kind of ashamed that we as a country elected this guy. And he also points out that Hillary was also not a good option. And I think we all agree with that. But Trump is the one who got you know elected. But he gives a great list of why he's unqualified as a leader. He and he brings up things that we've talked about. How you know he's he's bragged about adultery. How he's mocked and disrespected women. This is from John Piper. I think he's a pretty conservative guy. But to have him list out all these things, I think is, in my opinion, really admirable of him because I think it, he makes a great statement here. He says. Um, Followers of Christ are not Americans first. Our first allegiance is to Jesus and then to the God-inspired word of scripture, the Bible. This is our charter, not the U.S. Constitution. I think it's powerful and necessary words. And I'm glad to hear from a guy like John Piper, who has a pretty, I think, conservative following. A lot of, a lot of mainline churches uh, respect him. I do as well. But to have him kind of come out and, and kind of really break rank with that political view, because most of those guys kind of fall in line with that conservative leaning. But to have Piper say, actually, no, we're, we're way off base on this, I think is a great thing. I agree. Yeah, and he's really the only one that I've seen that has said anything about this. Right, right. But- that that's why I, I continually get I wouldn't say discouraged, but a little bummed out here that I'm I'm wondering like as far as the word Christian in our culture, 
what does that really mean? Because clearly it doesn't mean, I don't think what we, what we think it does mean because more and more Christians are not outspoken against these kinds of things because they feel like, well, he's a conservative. Therefore that's the right thing. But that's, that's because we've we've muddied politics and in, in really the the followings of uh, the following of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. We've muddied them so close together, we can't tell them apart. Which is kind of ironic because the teachings teachings of Jesus in the Bible are pretty opposite of a lot of conservative views. <laughs> yet somehow we've kind of justified them to be together. And it is a little. It, it's just it is what it is. You know, because I don't think one podcast is going to change that. But that's just kind of my commentary. Definitely on not this. ours. One yeah. podcast <laughs> to change them all. <laughs> Make. <laughs> Podcasting great again, all, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, sorry. Anyway, so I wanted to, I wanted to touch base on that briefly. I'm I'm just kind of shocked. Well, not shocked, but I'm discouraged. I guess that I'm wondering where are the faith leaders? Where are the Jerry Falwells who are saying actually Paula White is not a person Christianity should be really following or respecting or validating as far as teachings go because she lives under a prosperity gospel mindset, which is so not at all in line with any kind of scriptural context. This is the same guy who will rip left-leaning Christians as not Christian because they're too social justice-driven, but then not a peep on the prosperity gospel, which has, in my opinion, bankrupted more people in the world than any liberal left-leaning Christian ever has, you know? so Yeah, because most of the people (laughs) that are coming to them have no money and giving the last that they have in the hopes that they'll get something in return. Right, right. And they're being conned. They think that somehow by giving to this organization, they're giving to God. And these are people who are, I mean, Paula White, for example, plastic surgery, you know, a million dollar houses. It's very clear that, that the evidence is very clear as far as, you know, the love of money versus the love of, of, of the world and the love of Jesus. There's a huge conflict of interest there because she might say it's not about the money, but it's clearly about the money because of of her lifestyle. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. anyway, you guys, anything else to say about that before I move along? I was just thinking that maybe part of the Part of the reason no one's speaking out is because they're afraid to speak out about any type of spirituality in the political process, as if to say, oh, see, we don't, we condemn that, and then they'll just say, okay, we'll just remove the prayer altogether then. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, my thought was, my last thought was that um, it's almost like now that the election's over, those uh, evangelical leaders are just kind of like, Oh, we're out. <laughs> like yeah. he got in, we don't right. really need to speak up about anything anymore. Right. It's the same as every other presidency at this point. Yeah, yeah. no, I, th- I think you're right. So anyway, a little food for thought there, I guess for our listeners, which is, which is cool. Oh, before we move on, I want to mention this as well. So Sarah and I, I think I mentioned this to you guys, Sarah and I got offered to, um, to speak at like, at like a marriage <laughs> thing. Um, did I tell you about this, Jordan? No. Okay, so a buddy of mine... Why are you Do laughing? Tell. Why are you laughing, Rob? Because, Am I that hilarious to you? Yeah, Tim and Sarah have been married for so long, so many years, they have so much experience in the life. Well, once you hear the context, you'll understand, you big silly man. Anyway, we're on the air. I had to use nice G-rated words here. Um, so a buddy of mine, his name is Peter, listens to the podcast, which is awesome. Hey, thanks, Peter. Yes, thank you, Peter. He um, he messages me and goes, hey, can I give you a call? I said, yeah, sure. So he goes, hey, listen, I do this like, it's kind of like Campus Crusade for Christ type of ministry um, under a different umbrella. And he helps run, I'm assuming some college group, like small groups that are on campus and they, they do a retreat every year. And he said that one of the things that um, they've been asking for is just kind of like a, a, a married couple to come in and talk about marriage and dating and how they kind of got to where they're at. 
And Peter said it'd be cool to have a newer, uh, or a couple who was married a little bit, you know, more recently because it's kind of fresh in your head and you're kind of learning on the fly and you can kind of share like what that transition was like from dating to marriage because it's, it's kind of fresh in your head. I and, thought it was pretty cool. And the age gap is pretty, is closer so right. that you feel more relatable. Exactly. And I said, I said, you know what, that'd be great because honestly, we are obviously clearly still learning. We're, we're pretty new to this thing, but no, I mean, we'd love to be able to share. You guys are doing a great job. <laughs> well, he, uh, he printed up some like, uh, I guess some flyers and like cards for it. And man, he really blew me out of proportion. Like I sound way too cool and respectable and popular. I'm I'm like, Peter, you're really lying to your audience here because what he says, the first thing he says is he goes, he goes, Tim is the host of the popular podcast, Coffee Theology (laughs) and Jesus. I'm like, popular? Who do you think? Are you kidding? My friends listen to this podcast, popular. Like somehow we're some popular people who are just, you know, meeting and greeting with celebs and, you know, millions of listeners. We do this full time. I had to laugh though because I'm thinking popular, like Hey, uh, Peter, whatever you have to do to to build this thing up, you go for it, man. But my word, it it felt nice, but yeah, a little little out of proportion there. But if you see the flyer, you notice he didn't link to Tim's Facebook page. He's like, (laughs) I I don't want you to see that kind of... Well, like, you know, we listen, I just looked at that personality test on Facebook, and I'm a debater, and that makes sense, which I found out, and this is true, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm simply trying to understand by poking holes in all of your arguments. That's how I, that's how I learned. Yeah, if that's how you want to justify it, that's fine. Good. I will. I feel much better about myself justifying it that way. Yeah. All right. It gives you excuse <laughs> It gives us what? What did you say? Well, I'm a debater, so. Yeah. Well, it's accurate. Thank you very much. I am a debater. I, I like, can yell I like at debating. you. It's fine. I'm a no, debater. need a little know. more. I think you need a little more detail in that uh, personality. Well, quiz. no, they, it's a very detailed report. I don't want to bore you with the details, but pretty much what it means I've seen is that more detailed. I'm a debater. That's what it means. I'm a debater. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our main subject today, boys. So today we're talking about the idea of, and th- Rob, this was your idea, so of post-truth. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So what happened was, and Jordan, I'll fill you in on this loop as well, because you weren't there for this because you don't live here anymore. You, li- you left us. All right. Get yeah. over so it. So texting is pretty much impossible. <laughs> I agree. I'm not bitter or anything. I'm just saying you're not here anymore. Communication. So. Commun- modern communication still can't reach this far. Who has time for that? Um, so Nobody. A couple of months ago, I posted an article on Re- from Relevant Magazine about the church. It was actually a pretty well-written article. I enjoyed it a lot, so I, I shared it. A buddy of mine, though posted uh, an article undermined saying, hey, be careful of this guy, John. Uh, his name is John uh, Pavlovitz. And I'll say that because his name is public. He has a blog. So um, I said, okay. He posted this article and the article was entitled, No Christian, We Don't Deserve Hell and We Probably Needn't Worry About It. And I was, of course, intrigued. So I read through it and it was um, hmm, it was a interesting article to say the least. Um the, how would you sum up the article, Jordan, as far as what he says in the article? How would you sum it up? Um, sickening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, in a boy. word. Wow. And that's why we're not popular. John hates us already. <laughs> that's why we're not popular. Um, my first thought was like, it was, it's just very, um, I, I don't know. Like there's not a word for it, but just kind of like not no substance to it at all. Like it was all just these are some good 
you know, happy thoughts I've had. <laughs> yeah, I think a good way to sum up the article is that it's the um, it's the essential idea of postmodernism, you know, which is my feelings kind of supersede whatever possible belief I could have been taught or whatever some old book says, because I feel in my spirit deep down that this can't be right. Therefore, it must not be right because it doesn't right. feel like it's right to me. And, and that's, that's, that's really the, the thought behind post-truth. So post-truth is the 2016 Oxford word of the year. And what they have, what Oxford wrote as the definition of post-truth is an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. That sums it up. Well, actually. Podcast over. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Um, the article, it, what it's about is, it's, a, it's kind of an article written about how John started out as a pastor for 40 years. He was pretty mainline Christian theology that shifted, and he starts off kind of talking about how he met someone on a park bench, and the person was talking about how she's a Christian as well, and how the first thing she said was, and I, I'm quoting here, she said to, to John, I'm just so grateful to God because he loved me when I deserved hell. And then John writes, hearing those words out loud like that caused a reply to launch immediately from my lips without giving me time to edit or soften it. And he says, you did? You deserved hell just for being born? Yes, the Bible says that I was born sinful and separated from God, she matter-of-factly responded. I pressed her. So God lovingly made you and gave you life, but despised you out of the chute. So you can kind of already see where this is where this is heading, um, and it kind of just continues on and on and on. So eventually, he says to her that um, couldn't have, couldn't he have just forgiven you or all of us without needing Jesus and his death and without you needing to believe this? And isn't he just saving you from from himself then anyway? So a, I would argue a pretty classic postmodern like you know argument for that idea of like sin and grace and you know, total depravity and just being born into sin. But he, he kind of goes through and he just pretty much what he says at the end of it is I just feel in my spirit that, that deep down this can't possibly be true. And he even says, you know, listen, I know you're thinking about certain scriptures. I've already thought, I already thought through them. I've already wrestled with them, but in my heart, I know that this has to be the way. And that's for me where he kind of falls off the deep end because the heart is deceitful. I mean, it just is. It's it, Our heart is misleading all the time. We could feel one way about a girl one day and then three years later look back and say, thank God I didn't follow my heart on that or else it would have been a disaster. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Can I can I read another quote from this that yeah. kind of like uh, hit me <laughs> in a bad way? He says towards the end, I think kind of what you just summed up, more specifically what he said was, and if my heart is mistaken in all this, I trust that the one whose voice I so strain to hear will know more than any the depths to which I have been seeking and the earnestness of my desires and will give me safe passage to glory. If perfect love is real, this is what it looks like. So it's like in that statement, he's both saying, um, my good intentions will save me, <laughs> you know, no, no uh, accountability as a teacher and like a teacher of the word, um, like the Bible claims that there is. And then his own definition of what God's love is, like, if perfect love is real, this is what it looks like. Like, my feelings about what love should look like 
is the only possibility. Right. You he's know? making like, a very, it couldn't, it couldn't be any other thing. He's, he's making a very non-relativist statement. <laughs> he's saying, listen, it's kind of subjective. I kind of feel this way. Oh, but by the way, if perfect love is real, this is what it must look like then. It's like, well, right. are you sure? Cause what, I think. what if my version <laughs> differs? Then who's, who's right. It kind of goes back to that. when we had Kyle on that, that back and forth of, well, Kyle, who says that who's right. If there's nothing to base it off of. Right. And I, I don't mean to pick on John here. I'm kind of using his article as like a straw man to, for the bigger picture, which is that idea, Rob, of post truth and words leading us more and more. And there are people I think who are falling more and more in line with this kind of ideology of, well, my heart just can't understand how you know, hell could be a thing or a place. So therefore I have to reject it. It can't possibly be true which is a very arrogant statement to assume that yeah. because you can't understand it, it must somehow not be a possibility. And we, mm. how quickly we forget even, you know, like God's words to Job, where were you when I created the world? Oh, that's right. You didn't exist. And all of the verses that we read in Psalms and Proverbs, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And, we, we attribute to God our own attributes and say, well, if I'm reasoning this way, you have to reason this way. And if I'm thinking mm-hmm. this way, you have to fall into the box that I created for you to fall into. And it's a, it's a very wrong way of thinking. And it, it's, it's pervading Christianity. It's pervading our Facebook. It's pervading every aspect of the lives that we live is what I feel is more important than the facts. And in this case, when we come strictly to Christianity, what I feel is more important than what the word of God says. That's kind of the point is if you want to, if you subscribe to the Christian beliefs uh, system, you're going to subscribe to the Bible as being the word of God. It's just part of the belief that, that Christians hold. And I will definitely, and this is more of a personal thing, but listen, I, I wrestled with the concept of, of hell. I'm not sure if we have the right view of hell. I'm not sure if people actually are roasting like a rotisserie chicken in an oven. I'm not sure if that's what hell is like. And I think that that, that imagery has been really instilled into us that hell is a place where people are literally on fire forever. And I can understand how there's wiggle room as far as what hell looks like. I'll even go so far as to argue that, that people of the faith have argued if hell's forever or not. Those things for me are all well within the scope of wrestling with what what is that like and how does that process work and yeah i those are big questions to for sure to to wrestle with that people like francis chan have wrestled with and you know many christians have wrestled with including including us but when you start throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater the idea of well i can't i can't fathom any kind of hell so it must just not exist and i just trust that when i get to, when i get to heaven assuming that heaven looks like how we think it looks and there's jesus and we say but we tried so hard and you know i, I was earnest i don't think that's going to cut it I just don't think that's going to cut it. And that's, that, that's a very mainline evangelical thought uh, or, or viewpoint to hold to. But I, I also claim to be a Christian. So it kind of comes along with that territory. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it ties in with a, a common theme in Christianity, not mainline, but it's, it's an undercurrent that's starting to erode away at the foundation of Christianity is this thought that, you know, maybe the word of God, we treat it as too too high up. We treat it as almost it's the fourth part in the Trinity. The word of God isn't that big and you need to spend time with God and not read his word. You need to, and and they're almost acting as if the word of God isn't at the place that it is. That it's called experiential theology. Right. Exactly. As opposed to, yeah. I tend to be a little more, I, I, I'm more empathetic to that viewpoint though. Personally, for sure. But don't get me wrong. I, I understand 
your gripes with the word of God is this, and you wrestle more with uh, what was it contextually written? How was it? How was it meant? Was it was actually written as a poem? Right. But you would hold that if it's in the word of God, it's a black and white statement. Like I would say, hell is a black and white statement. The Lord talked about a certain rich man. It, that's not. It's not a wishy-washy statement. It says, this is a man who lived. No, I, I agree with you on that. And um, continue, continuing on with the same thought about hell, I agree that it's talked about, that it's mentioned, that it's in there, that it's a place for sure. But I am not the first one to point out that I know exactly what it's like. Right. And this is, this is, I think a lot of this mentality has come out of, um, it's like when the pendulum swings. We're swinging out to the the other extreme for all these years we were kind of preached at as far as what what hell was exactly like it's this place where there's burning and you're on fire and we have like this imagery of just like a guy on fire and then we think well <laughs> we get a lot of that from the medieval times that's a very medieval thought about hell um as far as like the fire and brimstone and like the devil with the horns that kind of that really comes out of that the that that time frame however it's, I can understand how people want to kind of go the extreme of like, well, if I was if I was preached at that, it must be this way, and they were so certain. But really, the Bible mentions it, but we don't know what that's like. I'm going to go the opposite way and say, you know what? Who knows? You know. So I, I think a lot of this comes out of that extreme. We were really like um, kind of taught that the Bible is black and white. Here's the words. It, whatever it says, it's you take it at face value. But the Bible is a much richer book than just that. You know what I mean? And when we take things, when we take every single thing literally in the sense of, you know, like, for instance, the Genesis poem is a good example, Rob, I know you'll agree with me on, you know, when we take those things so literal, we all of a sudden get into a big frenzy because when science or when something else disproves that, we think they can't be compatible, even though they very well can be for taking it in its proper context. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, and like I was saying, I, I agree with some of the sentiments that are bringing up, but the overall theme that is current is don't treat the word of God almost as if they're saying, don't treat the God as inerrant. Let's we've, we've moved beyond that. Right. You're saying with things like, um, like, like, uh, just like maybe different social norms that were normal then that aren't normal now or vice versa. Right. We tend to say, well, that was just an old book written for a specific time. There's some good things in there, but we, we pick out the good things, leave the bad things behind, but you really can't do that if you're treating it as the word of God. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely context. There's definitely, and look, there's gonna be debate about that stuff too. As uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as there's always going to be, but I know what you're saying. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I tend to be one of those guys who, who my thought is, I think that we put the, the scripture as almost accidentally equal with the, you know, with the father, with the son, we made it that fourth part of the Trinity and it's not, there's a very healthy place. It should be at, it is living, it's breathing. I believe that, but it's not God. And I think that I just believe that sometimes people who have taught me this stuff have accidentally confused the two a little bit without communicating that directly. Does that make sense? Right. And so I started thinking like, wait, the Holy spirit is my helper. You know, like he's the God is living inside of me. And then that mentality, if you're not careful, I think can lead down that path of, well, the Bible is nice, but I have God inside of me. And all of a sudden these thoughts that we're thinking all of a sudden become a louder voice than scripture. And when they start conflicting, we start trusting the voice in our head over what scripture is saying. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then we have things like this. Well, the problem is, <clears throat> I think the problem is a lot of times we, um, like, I think we have the Holy spirit to help us understand scripture and we have scripture to help us, 
uh, discern whether the feeling or the, the voice we're hearing inside of us is actually the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of like this checks and balances uh, setup, which is awesome because, you know, we have both of those. Um, but I think what trying to go back a little bit to what you guys were talking about, I think you're talking a lot about like um, interpretation of scripture um, and how you can interpret it differently because you're right. It does have different uh, context and it was written in different ways, whether as a poem or whether as like a letter to someone, that kind of thing. Um, but I think the problem comes when we start to say that there isn't truth or that the truth presented in the Bible could be different for different people, that kind of thing. Or when we start our interpretations with on the basis of like how we're feeling about something. And I think that's where you get into the problems like we're reading in this article. Um, because I think it's important to know that the truth that's presented in scripture is the same truth, no matter who's reading it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and, it, and it, and it means one thing like it, we might have to interpret scripture to understand the meaning of it better, but it doesn't mean something different to me and mean something different to someone else. It has the same intention and the same meaning behind it and the same truth behind it. Um, no matter who's reading it. Yeah. Does um, that make sense? It does. I think though that throughout the, the ages, there's different emphasis is put on scripture as far as like what sure. people deem as more moral than another. For example, a very classic example, back when John Calvin was around usury, was a big no-no as a Christian. You didn't go into debt. You didn't have to pay interest. That was like a big, from the Bible, we don't do that. It was seen as a, a mortal, mortal sin, something that Christians just don't do. But in this culture, it's not really thought about in any sense of the word. It's not thought about as far as it being sinful or it being evil or being unbiblical. But does that make sense? But we don't think about that in this culture, even though it's still in there. So I believe that 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 God's truth hasn't changed. I think we change (laughs) and we tend to emphasize certain things higher than the other. Like, for instance, right, a a great example for our culture right now, the, the church is focused on things like abortion and homosexual marriage, which, again, I'm not saying have changed. But then we neglect things like corporate greed or the love of money or materialism or having being obsessed with all this stuff. We don't see that really as a sinful thing, even though the Bible talks about it over and over again. So, yes, I agree, Jordan. I don't think that God's truth has changed. I think we're the ones who change, and we happen to put different emphases. Emphases? Yeah. Emphasi? Emphases? <laughs> different emphasis. A different emphasis on different things that we read in Scripture for our context. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's... To a degree, we're only human. We can only take in so much. And I think that there's definitely grace for things that we're not even aware about that we do that that don't fall in line with like how God designed things to be originally, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tricky because the trap you can run into is that when you start really fa- um, heavily emphasizing certain moral sins over other ones, you get in a lot of trouble because you're never really fully right. You're right in the sense of, yeah, you're calling that out, but you're neglecting all these other things, and then people label you a hypocrite. It's like, you know, it's like yeah. when someone like Paula White or whoever, you know, Joel Olstein says, yeah, I think homosexual marriage is a sin, yet here he is living in exorbitant material wealth that the scriptures talks about, and people go, well, how can you be, you know, how can you say that this is wrong, yet according to your own scriptures, you know, the way you live your life is not a healthy mindset. It's full of materialism. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to have that. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think we do the same thing too. You mentioned like the attributes of God. I think we do the exact same thing with that. We'll like emphasize certain parts of God that we like better, <laughs> or maybe we yeah. like when He shows them to us better than other parts. Um, but it's so important to to understand that God is just as uh, just <laughs> uh, in His judgment as He is loving, and He right. is both those things at the same time. Um, and he doesn't ever do anything in judgment that is not also done in love to the same extent. Um, I think it's really important to understand that. So it's almost like when you go and you say something like, well, um, how would a loving God, if he really loved us, if his love was perfect, he wouldn't do that. I can't reconcile that. But then you see like, well, that is what the Bible says about him. That is what he's doing. What I think we have to do then in that point when we're kind of wrestling with that, you know, that difference between what we feel about scripture and what it actually says is to recognize that we can't understand <laughs> everything about God. In fact, we have to understand that we can't understand everything. Um, who's the uh, A.W. Tozer in Knowledge of the Holy? Oh, yeah. Talks I, was, about, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, in that when he's talking about the attributes of God, he talks about how we have to have this certain amount of like mystery and understand that we can't understand things. Otherwise, it's idolatry. Like that whole part of like the wrong view of God is right. idolatry. Oh, so good. Like if we think we can fully understand him or the attributes and how those all work together, then really we're limiting him to a point where we're not worshiping God anymore. Yeah, there's a great quote. Uh, it's some Jewish rabbi who said... Um, if I fully understood him, I'd be him. Pretty much saying like, yeah. yeah, if I if I fully understood God, I'd be God. And when we, you're right, Jordan, when we try and label those things like, oh, here's how God works for sure. Here's how he definitely navigates things. You you don't, you know, it's a prideful statement. Honestly, it just is. Um, one thing I was going to say back to what you were saying earlier, Jordan, regarding like um, just, you know, God God being the the ultimate like standard and not, not our view because our view is so shaky it's kind of like a compass. If your compass is pointing north, if you don't believe it, it doesn't change the fact that the compass is still pointing north. You know, if, I, if I'm in the woods yeah. and I'm thinking this is north, but I say, no, my, my, my heart says that, that, that going east is actually <laughs> north. It doesn't change the fact that north is still north. My compass isn't lying to me. Right. I'm lying to myself. It's relative truth. <laughs> it, oh, it completely is. And it breaks down. I mean, even in this article, at the very end of it, he makes all these very non- relative statements that, you know, no, you're not born in depravity. No, you don't deserve hell. Well, those are very ultimate things to say for someone who says that who really knows and that my heart says this. I mean, how, how can you logically prove that what you're saying is correct? And I, again, I, I fully understand why we're here. I understand that people have abused the idea of absolute truth and they picked the little molehills that they have tried to force people to see that are, it's only their way or the highway. And there's definitely room for things that are going to be a little more morally subjective, but at the root of it, at the root of what we're talking about, if there's nothing that is objective, that is grounding us, you're all over the place. And you're really in a catch-22. Everything you say as, this, as, as an absolute statement can't be absolute if you don't believe it. And, it's, it's, and you're, opening yourself, you're opening yourself up to someone saying, actually, I disagree, and you can't tell them that they're wrong. Yeah. You know, I can write an article completely disagreeing with John and refuting every one of his points of scripture and say, here, John, and he couldn't say I'm wrong because by his own admission, what's in your heart? My heart saying that, that my, if I, if I tell John, listen, John, my heart 
is I trust it completely. And no amount of what you tell me will change my mind. All he can do is accept it because he's arguing, he's arguing from the same exact place, his, his own heart. So no one wins. You get stuck in this whole dichotomy. Yeah. He even says somewhere in there, like, you can say whatever you want to me, but that's not going to change what I believe in my heart. <laughs> yeah. He's like, bring whatever scripture you want. I've been through them all. I've heard them all. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah what, what he says is at one point, he says, you can mount all the violent assaults of systematic theology and doctrine and dogma, and they will not be louder than this voice. So, okay. And then he also says, be more true. <laughs> in theory, <laughs> And then he says, um, he's got a very loud voice in his head. This is not a conscious decision. I don't know what that means. So I can be argued or proof text. I I can, I think he meant to see, I I think he meant to say I cannot, but he said, he says I can. So I can't be argued or proof texted out of it. Rather, it's more of a yielding to the involuntary response of my heart as I have walked in faith and lived life seeking Jesus. The problem with that is that if you're seeking Jesus, I'm assuming you're going to try and read his words and he talks about hell. He talks about it. Now, how you want to interpret that's one thing, but he mentions hell several times. So it's obviously a talked about thing that the words of Jesus actually say. But are we just negating these things or are those the words that Jesus didn't say because it's in the Bible and the Bible isn't accurate according to John? I don't know how to interpret that. Well, I think that's that whole problem of like having that balance of scripture. Like this is what happens when you spend, you know, 20 plus years in ministry primarily listening to the voice of what you at least assume is the Holy Spirit talking to you and, you know, interpreting things to you. I mean, that's the whole, I mentioned before real quickly that, I mean, it's based, that's the term experiential theology, basically theology being the study of God, what you study of God and understand about him is more based on your experience in your life than it is on scripture. Right. Exactly. And yeah. uh, just for the record, this is not a, a bashing John Pavlowitz session here at all. <laughs> if, John, if John's listening, he's more than welcome to hop on the show. I will gladly have him on. We can discuss this in person because he's not here to defend himself. And I, I want to be fair to him, of course, you know. Sure. But I'm just kind of picking him out here as kind of summarizing a lot of the, I think, beliefs and theologies that a lot of millennials have kind of walked into because they've either been burnt by the church or frankly, we're just rebellious <laughs> like any other mm-hmm. human and we don't want to submit to any kind of authority or believe that that because we can't understand that that there's a heaven and a hell and that God has things set up a certain way. It doesn't jive with our feelings, so we walked away from it. There's a million reasons why people have subscribed to these kinds of systematic dogmas and theologies. So, you know, yeah. John's definitely welcome, of course, anytime to hop on the show or I'll go to his show. I don't care. I want to make that very <laughs> clear, but I'm kind of using his article as a way to springboard into this discussion. So I just sure. want to be, you know, really clear I think on what that. you just said about um, how we feel about authority as millennials is super important because basically what the whole idea, at least when it pertains to the Bible and evangelical evangelicalism. (laughs) Um, The whole idea of post-truth in that is that basically my feelings are no longer subject to the authority of scripture. I feel like that's kind of what it boils down to. (laughs) Listen, I really empathize because I know a lot of people have been burned by the church. We've shared the stories. We've interviewed people. We've heard the stories ourselves. I know that, that on, on some level, the church has aided in some of this. Sure. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for for what happens, right? So like if something happened that was out of your control, you're responsible for how you respond to that. And mm-hmm. if you make the church your Jesus, you definitely are going to be let down at some point. 
for yeah. sure. Because the church is not a perfect place, even though we try and make it seem like it is. It's not. People are flawed. It, we we get that. Or if you let one pastor be your sole means of interpreting scripture, right? <laughs> you know, like right. with this one guy telling you things about what the Bible says for your whole life, and then something happens, then it's like, oh, well, what I understood about the Bible is also has also burned me <laughs> in addition to the church. <laughs> That's completely correct. And Jordan, you and I have at length discussed this. I mean, remember, we, I used to have that Wednesday night discussion for people to come over and yeah. talk about the church. And we have, we have dug countless hours into this subject. And I think you and I have a lot of empathy towards why that's happened, but we decide to own our faith is what it comes down to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Listen, I've been burnt before. I've been hurt by people in the church. You've, I'm sure, been hurt or burnt by people in the church, but that didn't stop us from from digging deeper into our faith to see, okay, what are, is there something that, that maybe the church is missing when it comes to our faith or that we're missing that we need to readjust? There, our response wasn't, we're out of here. Let's find something that, that fits our feelings better. Our response was, no, right. no, no, no. We got to be missing something. We have to dive deeper into scripture. What if we took mm. the words of Jesus more literally? Those are the questions that we came away asking. And, you know, it was up to us to do that. We easily could have walked away and sulked and, you know, cried boo-hoo. But at the end of the day, we had to own our faith and make it our own, right? From from out out of our parents' shadow, so to speak, and into mm-hmm. our own, we had to make that we had to make that conscious decision. And yeah, one of, one of the other things that we were we we're at our church, um, we're studying Philippians, and in Philippians, uh, the kind of the title that I've been just working over of Philippians is. Uh, joy, the gospel of my life. So the gospel that goes forth just from my everyday life is the joy that is found in every circumstance of my life. And that's a a very common theme throughout the book of Philippians. But when it comes to the end of chapter three, uh, he's writing and he he goes into this little sidebar and he's talking about uh, our conversation is in heaven. And he, he talks about we're going to get our vile bodies, they're going to be changed. We're going to be made like unto him. And then right after that, he goes into this section that has the very famous verse, rejoice, I say in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And so when, when we look at that, it ties into what you were saying, Tim, rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice in our church. It doesn't say rejoice in our favorite pastor doesn't say rejoice in our spouses or our children or whatever the case is. It says rejoice in the Lord. So if, we, if our focus is on him, if our focus is on what does the Lord say? What is the Lord teaching me? That's where our joy is going to come from. That's where our, our motivation for life is going to come from. And at every point, going back to what we were talking about earlier, at every point, if I'm feeling being led by the Spirit, so I think, or having thoughts about God, I'm going to say, okay, how does that line up with the scripture that I know teaches about him? How does that line up with the verses that um, talk about what Jesus said about this topic? How does that line up with the theology or doctrine that I can get from Paul's teaching? How does that, how does that line up with things that I read in the Gospels? And so when, when we're, our focus is on the Lord and walking in the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord, it, it comes back to the word of God because... That's where we can balance that. The, the, the Spirit of God isn't going to teach us something that's contrary to his own word that, that says the word of God is God-breathed. Right. 
It, it's, yeah. it's there's never going to be a contradictory statement between what I feel the Spirit is telling me right. and what God's Spirit already told me in the Word of God. Right. Not to mention, not to mention that Scripture can come in at times when we don't feel very happy or when we don't feel very loved or we don't feel like God's there. There have been moments for me where I'm, I'm like, Lord, are you even are you even there? And I'm reading Scripture, and it's like, oh my gosh, like. Yes, he is. You know, there, mm. there's verses that I've read when I have been stressed or full of anxiety, when I haven't heard that little voice or I haven't felt good. And the scriptures is what is what has comforted me. Not not that voice in my in my head, not the voice in my heart. It's the scripture because it supersedes my emotions. And that's I think what kind of what we're getting at is when you when emotions rule how you how you see the world and how you filter it. You're in for a really turbulent ride. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A really turbulent <laughs> ride. One day you can be on cloud nine. One day you can be on, on, on the opposite of that, whatever, cloud zero, I guess. I don't know. You, know, you, can, you can be back on planet Earth and just miserable. The sun could be shining one day in your mind. It could be rainy the next day. If that's how you, you perceive what is true and what is good, you're never going to be content. I mean, honestly, emotions come down to a biological thing in our brain as well. You know, certain mm-hmm. chemicals get released. We feel one way or another. So... Uh, it's it's a very um, subjective and and really rocky way to to govern yourself, and we're in this obsessed culture of trying to be happy, trying to be happy. But when we do that, we really aren't happy. <laughs> I, you know what, what's what's this, what's the statistic going around? I'm not sure how true it is, but they say that we're the, one of the richest countries in the world, yet we're one of the most depressed. You right. know, we, we have we have we have yeah. the most stuff on planet Earth. We get new thousand dollar phones every year. We're still not happy. We have everything any human in the history of the world could want. Even some of the poorest of us still live better than the majority of the world. We're miserable. We have this desire to always want more. Your emotions are never going to fulfill your need for for security or for love or for happiness. It's, it's never a permanent fix. That's why I think so many celebrities will, will tell you, listen, you might think that what I do, I'm this the happiest person ever and I'm content, but I'm really not. I'm really not. It happens all the time. Uh, Jim Carrey has said it before. Countless actors and people who are rich beyond all all means will say, "No, I'm still not happy. I need more. I need more." It's not. It's never gonna. You're never gonna arrive if your emotions are always governing you. Yeah. Mm. Just the way it is. It's it's not possible. Look at our, <laughs> look at every Black Friday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just look at that. I mean, I work for a tech company that sells a very popular phone. And people have to have their new phones every time a new one comes out, by all means. Whether they need it or not, or whether they can afford it or not. Dude, the majority of people who get phones do not need them. I mean people who do. Their old phone broke. It's it's six years old. They need it for email. I get those things. But people come in just because. I, I want a new phone. And they, I think deep down we think that this will make us happier. And yet a year later or two years later, we're back to square one. I'm not happy with this thing. I, re- I remember when I got my, uh, my, my iPhone, I was so happy with it for like two days. Then it became normal. <laughs> then it became normal. Then you, you know? saw the, the eight-year-old walking down the street with the newest phone. Pretty like, much. Oh, Pretty much. So <laughs> anyway, kind of a sidetrack there, you know. But that's kind of my point is I think our culture is looking so desperately but we're telling ourselves that, well, who knows? That's pretty much our answer to everything. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. And some things are going to be a little more gray, for sure. But there has to be some kind of foundation that we're basing our life off of. If it's nothing, what's the point? Anyway, we're back to square one. It shouldn't be our feelings. <laughs> yeah, no, it should be our feelings. That's for sure. And I, I do feel also like, um, uh, just to, uh, to kind of wrap us up here before we, we head out, when it comes to this kind of article, 
it's a very like new age mentality. You know, I feel like a lot of um, Eastern philosophy has kind of crept in with, with the Western idea of happiness. And we've kind of married the two into this, like, well, find your inner voice, your inner conscience. I saw a video on Facebook from someone that I, I kind of, I know remotely who posted the video kind of about meditation, but the video was full of just like, like, you know, it's, it was full of like those words that just bring up the feeling of wonder, like arrival, consciousness, love, feeling when you, it sounds nice until you think about it. And it's the whole video is him meditating and kind of saying like, you know, find peace within yourself. It was that kind of thing. But when you break down those beliefs, there's nothing there. What is consciousness? What are you, you know, what are we talking about? The kingdom is within you. What does that really mean? Well, it's not based on anything. It's based on, on, on some fancy words that sound nice, but when you really bite into them, there's, it's, it's, it's like cotton candy. Ever eaten cotton candy before? Yeah. It's like, oh, this is great. Look how big and (laughs) and awesome it is. Right. Until you bite it and there's nothing there. It, it just vanishes and it doesn't fill you up. Same kind of idea. I think we're going to label this kind of thinking is cotton candy theology. I think that's going to be the, that's a good name. (laughs) Well, really? I mean, I don't mean to sound insulting here, honestly, but, but that's what you're advertising. You're pretty much saying like, whatever feels good, whatever. I feel like this is right, which is, Hey, listen, we live in a free society. You are more than welcome to believe that that's fine. However, you have to admit that if there's nothing grounding you, how, how can you call anything out? Is there a right? Is there a wrong? It comes all back to that. Just like on our last podcast with, with Kyle, you know, that same kind of mentality of, well, who says what was right, what was wrong in some of these bigger moral conundrums that we find ourselves in? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. For sure. Yeah. That, that, I mean, kind of to, to wrap up the thought of where the word of God stands, we already said the, the, the verse in 2 Timothy all scripture is breathed out by God, but that, that's not the end of the verse. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. If, it's, mm. if it wasn't good for those things, Paul wouldn't have wrote that to Timothy and said, listen, the word of God, this, the scripture, the, these things that I'm writing, this is good for all of these things. Yeah. And in today's society, we're kind of just like, no, what's good for that is what I feel in my heart, what God is leading me to. If God's yeah. leading you to it, he's also going to lead you to your, to his word to <laughs> flesh it out, to prove it, and, right. and to make it known. Well, what, what worries me the most here is that this is happening within the Christian faith, right? Because I think about First Corinthians 5 with, with, with Paul. He says, listen, the world's going to be the world. It's, it's expected. And I understand that. If yeah. you're not holding on to anything, I get that. Um, but for for the Christian movement to have this kind of like infiltrate a little bit, this idea, well, this voice kind of has superseded, so I, I walked away, or there is no hell. Like if you're not going to be, a, if you're not going to, if you're not going to claim to want to follow Jesus any longer or a Christian, that's again, that's your prerogative. I'm not responsible for that decision. But when you start talking about Christian things, like as a non-Christian, almost right, like like. Like in John's case here, he I think he, I I assume he kind of walked out of the church and he's kind of over, you know, normal Christian theology. But then for him to commentate on Christian theology is kind of weird because it's like, well, I thought you don't believe this stuff anymore. It's just a very interesting perspective. That's all. So I think yeah. that that's what I'm I'm most concerned about more than anything is when this kind of happens within the Christian movement. It's a far, it, it's it's it really waters down the teachings of Jesus, which is 
which are so key to this world, especially now. They, they need to be lived out more than ever. But when you have this mentality of, you know, well, this voice has superseded that, then you really can't. I mean, I just feel like that, that leads you down to the path of, well, Jesus' teachings were, some of them were good, some of them weren't. My, this voice in my heart speaks louder than this one does, than, than, what Jesus, than what Jesus actually said, so I'll just ignore that. It's a very dangerous pick-and-choose theology that you run into. Yeah. So. so my last thought that I'll just give real quick is, like, if you find yourself in the situation where something that you feel in your heart um, about... <laughs> Christian life or like your faith differs from what you're reading in scripture, by all means, you know, wrestle with that, you know, you look into that. Um, but never, I guess I would just say like, never, uh, side with your heart (laughs) over scripture. Right. Like if, if, if you have to come to the point where you can't reconcile that, then come to the point where you can say, I'm not going to understand this fully and that's okay you know, yes. or come to the point where you say what scripture says must be true. And my heart needs to get in line with that. Yeah, um, you know, never say my heart is true and scripture needs to interpret itself in order to be in line with what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think that's really good, Jordan. Um, I think we all wrestle with things. There's things I don't fully understand. Um, I'm not going to always understand and that's really okay. Cause I'm not God. So it's not my, my responsibility to fully understand, which is good. Um, a couple things for people who are listening to this. Um, something that I wrestled with is how do we know that, that the Bible is true? And this isn't really the podcast for that kind of discussion, but some great resources. Ravi Zacharias, um, a really great apologist and philosopher in the Christian faith, one of my all-time favorite. Um, he has a podcast out called the RZIM podcast, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries podcast. And there's always things that he's talking about when it comes to how do we know that that the Christian faith is viable, that it's real, that it can be proved. Um, he's a great speaker on that stuff. So if that's something that you wrestle with or if you wrestle with the idea of how do we know that Jesus is the only way, those kinds of things, Ravi Zacharias is a great resource for that. So I encourage you to check that out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's phenomenal. Yeah, one of my favorites. So um, Rob, any final thoughts before we get ready to wrap up here? Uh, no. Yeah. I think I would just echo what you and Jordan have already said. Um, it's basically make sure that we're, we're living in that realm where it's not just the word of God, because if we just rely on that and we don't say, and we're not, you know, before we get to the Bible, we should be, we should be praying saying spirit, like teach me, show me what, what is right. Cause if I was to just take a lot of these things at surface value, I'd, get a lot of things out of whack. But there should also be that balance of not just praying to God, hey, reveal to me truth today as I'm walking down the street and I have all of these epiphanies. It, there has to be that balance of, as Jordan already stated before, the checks and balances of the spirit and the word of God. We're given both and yeah. we have both all of the time. So make sure we're, we're using both of those to their fullest advantage. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, everyone, thanks for listening in on this episode. Uh, we will be podcasting again when we have our humongous announcement, so make sure to tune in for, uh, for that humongous announcement and story, of course. Uh, I think it's appropriate to say that it's huge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, anyway. <laughs> on um, that note. <laughs> yeah, on that note, everyone, thanks for listening. Have a great uh, week, night, whatever you're doing. Enjoy it. We will talk to you guys again soon. Have thanks a good so much. They've got more seeds for your servant. But where's the water? 
Watch your play.